Okay, so we're gonna we got a lot to cover tonight. So I'm gonna um, if we can get through all these because these are really cool things that we're gonna talk about tonight. Anybody question about anything that we covered so far? Like anybody remember what we covered so far? No, I got anything so. I don't remember either. Huh? The fossil record. The fossil record. Yeah, we covered a fossil record. Uh, next, uh, if we can get through all of this tonight, next week we're going to talk about uh, man and, you know, did we really come from apes and how all that works and where that came from. And we really, if, if we can stay on track, I think maybe six weeks, maybe seven, if we can stay. I think we're, we're, we're getting close to the end, but this is the stuff that's really cool. Yeah. Are we going to learn why there's not very many human fossils today? Not today. Ah. Not today. We'll, we'll do that next week when we get to man. Okay. Uh, and it's really just a simple thing. I mean, it's not like a major, but anyway. Um, so wh- why are we doing this? Because the Bible says in 1 Peter three, fifteen, y'all ought to memorize this verse. You've heard it enough times in the last, what, 15 weeks? <laughs> uh, Sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready always to give an answer of the hope that lies within you. Uh, with meekness and fear. And I like the part about meekness and fear because we're not arguing with people. We're just stating the facts. We're just giving the evidence for our, for our faith and our belief, right? So what I want to talk about tonight, because the last three weeks, three or four times we were together, we were talking about what I called evolutionary error and the, and the problems with evolution and stuff like that. So let's flip the coin now. Let's look at the positive things that we have about the true evidence that we have that if... The stuff I'm going to show you tonight couldn't exist if it wasn't for God. I'm just going to make a statement right now. I'll just say it flat out. It cannot exist if God does not exist to what we're going to look at tonight. Okay, so I'm going to give you a couple of things first. Let's skip that. So to create, let's talk about what it means to create something. You know, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. So to, get, to create means to give being to something new, to give being to it, right? Uh you know, if, you, uh, if you're a cook, you know, you're a chef, a big, you know, real fancy chef, and you create some exotic dish, right? You gave being to a new dish, and maybe you even got your name on, on uh, Food Channel or something like that, right? So you create to give being to something new, and it always has God as its subject. Creation and God cannot be separated, when you talk about creation, you, you invariably have to talk about God. And when you're talking about God, you are invariably talking about creation. They just go together. Evolution doesn't go with creation. Evolution doesn't go with God. So, so it always is the subject. Acts chapter 17 and in verse 24, when Paul was preaching to the, uh, to the, the Athenians, uh, who were a bunch of knowledgeable people, people right? They're Greeks. And we get all of our education system from the Greeks and our philosophy and all of those kind of our sciences come have its roots in the Greeks. Well, this is what Paul told the Greeks. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Right? So it's always in the center. His, his messages was centered around God. The question that they actually had was, is there a God? Because they were worshiping gods. They had statues of all kinds of gods all over the city. Except for one, they called the unknown God because they didn't know who he was. Uh, okay, so it's also it can be. We looked at this before. This is a good re- good refresher. Creation has to do with matter, life, or spirit. Isaiah forty two verse five says that the, that God the Lord he had he that created the heavens that's matter, physical stuff, 
and stretched them out. He spread forth the earth, and that which cometh out of it, he, give, he, breathe, or he giveth breath, that's life. Remember when Genesis chapter 2, it says that God breathed into this lump of clay and he became a living soul. And then, and spirit uh, to them that walk therein. So uh, it's always, creation is always matter, life, and spirit. There was no pre-existing substances. There was nothing that was pre-existing. Uh, I don't think there's a blank for this part, but there, all the things that were created were out of nothing. That is an, that's a Latin phrase, ex nihilo, that means out of nothing. Uh, when God created, time began. And then the, the last thing I think is a blank is all the, at the beginning of creation, God was sovereign. That means he was in charge because he's the creator of it. He, he's the owner of it. And just a couple of quick verses just to note here for you. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 10 says, Thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. And there's a couple other verses. I think I got them up here. Uh, these three. Uh, Hebrews 11, 3 says that the things that are seen are not made which by the things that do appear. So everything that's made came from something that doesn't appear. So we don't see God. God is spirit. So he, he, he came from him. Okay, so this is just a foundation. So what I want to run through really quick are three things. Oh, three, maybe four. I want to talk about the living cell. The, the, action, the living cell. I don't think this is a... Um, I don't have a lot of blanks for you on this. Which you, can, you can flip over on the back if you want. I just want to run through this because I think this is really cool. The living cell. And we're not going to study out all of the components. This is not science class because uh, I don't know anything about all those things. I just know that the living cell has a whole bunch of components uh, that are in it. Whether it's a living cell that makes up your fingernail... I think those are dead cells, actually, but uh, you know what I mean, right? Whether it's in your skin cell or, or your eyes or whatever, any cell, a living cell has a bunch of parts. There's a membrane, there's the, uh, I can't even read all that stuff up there, but there's just a, there's just a lot of parts uh, that go to the cell. So typically a cell, Psalm chapter, let me just before we get far, Psalm chapter 139, verse 14, I think it uh, should be on that list of verses for you. Psalm 139, verse 14 says, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and, thy, and, thy, and my soul knoweth right well. So what David, the psalmist, when he wrote that, he's saying, my body is awesome. I mean, not because he thought he was a great person, but because it reflected what God did. He was, he was, he was uh, fearfully and wonderfully made. He was a marvelous creation of what God put together. Just think about the human body and all of the complexities of the human body. It is an incredibly complex uh, component of, I mean, just what we do. We have eyes, we have fingers, we have toes, we have, uh, you know, the, there's the symmetry in the body. Your arms extend the same length as your height is. I mean, all of these things are just so, so awesome. The fact that you can see... You know, 180 degrees if you've got good vision anyway. You know, your peripheral vision and all that. You can hear. You can, your eyes can see. I mean, it's just incredible what we have here. Well, a typical cell contains more than a trillion parts when you get down to the atomic level. A trillion parts per cell. And we're just talking about one cell, and it's made up of a trillion atomic parts. Uh, there's over 200 major cell types just in the human body alone. Uh, it's just an amazing thing of just what we all have here. Uh, uh, 
cells are made up of over 200,000 proteins. So a protein is, uh, you know, you got to have protein, right? That's what makes you strong. You need a lot of protein because that's what makes the cells function. Cells function on proteins. The proteins make the cell act in whatever way it needs to repair itself, if it needs to repair itself, uh, move if it needs to move. You know, just the, the cells in the back of the eye have to respond to light that comes in. So all of those things are done by proteins. And those proteins have to be coordinated. And the effort that those proteins, if they get out of whack, your cells get out of whack. And if that happens, you know, we, we have what we call a disease called cancer. Right? When your cells get out of, out of whack. Well, all of those 200,000 proteins have to be functioning correctly. The several of the proteins are called enzymes, and they're necessary to facilitate a chemical reaction. Think about this for just a second. How does your cell in your kneecap, how does that cell in your kneecap, on the skin of your kneecap, how does it get oxygen? From the blood. Well, how does the blood, how does it get it out of the blood? The proteins and the enzymes extract the oxygen molecules directly into that cell. Well, how does it get rid of the carbon dioxide? The same way, the, the proteins and the enzymes have to move those bits and pieces of carbon dioxide and waste product into your blood so that your blood can transport it to your liver and your kidneys and get it flushed out. That's, so these things... So we say, oh, it's a simple, we all came from a simple cell. No, there's no such thing as a simple cell. A cell can't be simple and be a cell because it's made up of trillions of atomic level parts, different kinds of, there's 200 different kinds of cells just in the human body, all these proteins. It's just an incredible thing about just about the construction of the cell. Uh, and all of these functions that these, that these proteins and these enzymes uh, function off. Who, does anybody know what, where they get their instruction on what to do? Nucleus. Yeah, what's in the nucleus? The brain. Well, what's in it? But we have a term that we talk about. Oh, the nucleosis. Well, the DNA. Uh -huh. Right? Your DNA. Your DNA is the instruction that tells the cell what to do. Right? So every cell has, has a copy of your DNA in it. That's why they think you can, they can clone people, because they can take a cell get the DNA, un unravel the mystery code in the DNA, and create a life form again. So every single cell, someplace buried in the middle of all of this is your DNA, and your DNA drives what the proteins do to tell the, kind of, tell the cell to be what kind of cell it is. It's an amazing feat, as far as I'm concerned. Um, so uh, the living cell is powered by what's called a... Uh, and I can't pronounce the word very well, adenosine, adenosine, or adenosine triphosphate, ATP. And that's, that, what that does is it, 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 uh, it is the motor that makes everything work. It's like the gas that makes everything work within the cell. Okay, so that's a cell. And every, so, you know, we have within our human body millions and millions, really billions, probably trillions, I don't even know. There's just a lot of cells in our body. And they're, they're being replaced every day. You know, every day you, you shed dead cells off of your skin, right? Your hair follicles, your nails, all that stuff, that's all shedded off. But just your body sheds dead cells. And they get replaced all the time. 
Some people say, I don't know how accurate this really is, but some people say that your body is completely replaced every seven years. Your entire body, inside and out, is replaced because all of your cells die in a seven-year cycle and you pretty much replace yourself. Think about that in the terms of just age. You go from infant to seven, okay, and then from seven to 14, your whole body is kind of changing, right? From 14 to 21, all right, now you're young and you're, you got, you know, you're, you're, you're empowered and you're strong. And then you go from, from 21 to 28. Okay, so you're starting to wear out a little bit, right? <laughs> Just a slight. But by, from 28 to what? Seven years later, what's that? 35. Okay, now 35. Now, you, now it's starting to show a little bit. People are starting to be concerned. Well, you know, maybe I'll start eating better. Maybe I'll start working out. Then you get from 35 to 42, and then 49. You work your way up. I mean, every seven years. So whether it's accurate or not, it pretty much follows the life cycle of the human being, just in, our, just in the way our body ages. So our cells are changing all the time. How does it know to change? It's incredible. Okay, so that's just one cell uh, of many. But I, what I want to talk about next is, is a bunch of cells in the human eye. Mm-hmm. And this is incredible to me. This is just incredible. Uh, Jesus Christ says in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 22. Matthew, 20, Matthew 6, 22, he says, The light of the eye, I'm sorry, the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, the whole body shall be full of light. So the eye, God himself recognizes the eye as a very important component in our body. It, it means a lot, right? It, our eyes reveal a lot about us, right? You, you look at somebody's eye and know they're sick. You can look at somebody's eye and know they're hurting somehow, that they're, you know, they're about to break down and cry, or, or they're just ecstatically happy, right, because, you know, something great in their life has just occurred. So the eye reveals a tremendous amount of life, and God knows that. Um, the eye, the retina, um, the retina is about one square inch in surface but it contains 137 million light receptor cells. So uh, if you think about your digital camera, your digital camera has a CCD chip, right, inside it. That's the chip that's light sensitive. And, uh, you know, there are, uh, I think, what, 25 million pixel cameras today. You know, I mean, you can get some cameras that are that just, you know, for fairly inexpensive, they're hugely uh, large. So these are the pixels, these 137 million cells are the pixels of your eye. If you never, I don't know if you've ever thought about it that way, but every single cell responds to the light that comes into your body. There's uh, 130 million of the cells. This is in each eye, not just total, but in each eye. 130 million of them are what's called a rod cell, and they are they they respond to black and white light. And then the other 7 million are cone cells. So they look like cones or rods. That's why they call them that. Uh, and um, and the, the 7 million cone cells respond to color. So you notice when the light gets dim, the color that you see fades away. So you don't quite see as much color, especially in the early morning when the sun hasn't shined real bright or, or at around dusk. You start to see more shadowy things because... The light, there's less color cells, color cells than there are uh, black and white cells in your eyes. 
So the eye, the eye itself has a dynamic range of 10 billion to 1, meaning that it can detect one photon of, of light. Now, a photon would be just one particle of a light. You know, the light that's coming out of these, uh, these uh, ceiling lights are emitting millions and millions of photons of light constantly but your eye is capable of detecting one photon of light. The highest quality photographic films, and I know most people don't use film today, but if you were a photographer that wanted to do film photography, most film is only about 1,000 to 1 sensitive, but our eyes are 10 billion to 1 sensitive. Uh, a DSLR, a high quality DSLR, so like a Canon high quality professional camera, is about 2,000 to 1. So your eye can see more light at smaller amounts of light than a camera can. So no matter how well the iPhone is, how good it is, it's not as good as your eyeball. Uh, that's, that's just what's, that's a cool thing. Uh, a, a healthy eye can see a candle 25 miles away. That's almost to the horizon. So if you're on the ocean and the ocean is calm, it's nice and flat, and you're standing on, the, on, a, on a boat in the ocean, and you look out there at the horizon, 25 miles away, you can see a candle light. That's, if you, you know, obviously if your eyes are healthy, not like mine that aren't. Uh, so it's an amazing component that God has given to us, and he's given us two of them. You know why you have two eyes? Anybody know why you have two eyes? Well, for one thing, it makes your face balanced. <laughs> but seriously, does anybody know why you have two eyes? For depth perception. Mm. If, you, if you take, you know, you walk around all day long with a patch over your eye, you will start running into things because your depth perception is now gone. They're only, what, two and a half inches apart on average? But that, that's enough to give you triangulation. So this eye is seen here, this eye is seen here, and eventually they kind of come together in a point, and that's where you get your depth perception. You know why you have two ears? We're not going to talk about the ear, but I know why you have two ears now? So you can hear on both sides of your head. <laughs> so you can hear on both sides of your head, but actually what it does is it gives you, it gives you the ability to, de to determine direction of sound. So if you're deaf in one ear, you ain't going to hear anything over here. But if you can hear it over here, what it actually sounds, so the, the ear or the sound is going to be louder in this ear than it will be in this ear. By just a little bit. But enough, every one of you do this, but a sound, what was that? Right? Because that's what we do. We turn to the sound because our ears are spaced far enough apart that we can tell direction. So much for it's like, was it over there or was it over there? I mean, that's, that's minimal. But this is how complex the body is. And when you compare that to evolutionary processes, right? Survival of the fittest, uh, mutation, beneficial mutations, uh, all of these kind of things, where you have to wait for a mutation to produce the eyeball so you can actually see something. And you're going to walk around for millions of years blind. You'll die before that. Your species will die out before that happens. Uh, the eye demonstrates really a tremendous amount of complexity. It's, a, it's able, with lightning response, to react to bright light, dim light, 
because the proteins in the cell cause your muscles in your eye, the, eye, the muscles that control the eye, it changes your uh, um, pupil. So we're just in an instant. You ever, you ever wonder, try to, try to look from left of the room to the right of the room without blinking and try to stay focused. So you're focused on me, then look over here at the door and try to focus on the door without blinking your eye. Without blinking. You blink as soon as you turn because that's the focus. It's like, it's like click, refocus. The only way you, every time you, every time you look at, I mean, you can scan around, but, but your eyes are quivering to, to adjust the focus of the depth that you're looking at. And these proteins in the eye cause the muscles to respond to adjust the focus. Because how do your eyes focus anyway? With the cornea that's in there behind your eye, the muscles tweak your eyes. They squeeze and pull and twist the cornea because that's, that's the lens, right, that makes you be able to focus. It's an incredible, incredible tool that we have in, the, in our heads, and we don't even realize it. Um, your eye is better capable of determining an edge than most computers are. Um, you know, computers can be pretty exacting, but your eyes are better at it than uh, than the computer is. The retina, the retina does 10 million calculations of pre-processing before the image ever gets sent to the brain. So, okay, so the image of me standing here comes into your eyeball, and your eyeball pre-processes the image and turns it into electrical impulses before it ever gets to the brain. This has to happen long before it ever gets to your to your to your, the uh, the uh, optic nerve and then on up into the brain. There's already some changes that are taking place or processing of the image that happens there. The retina. This is from. Uh, a guy by the name, I don't think I have it on, on the screen. He said this. He's a, uh, George Marshall. He was a uh, Ph.D. of ophthalmologic science in Glasgow University. He said the retina is probably the most complicated tissue in the whole body. Millions of nerve cells count, interconnect into a fast, fantastic number of ways to, perform, to form a miniature brain. So he was actually saying your eyeball is like a brain. It's as, it's as complex as the brain. The optic nerve itself can handle 1.5 million simultaneous messages. What would be those messages? What do you think those messages are that your optic nerve is, is, is handling all at the same time? Color and movement. And Color, movement. movement, depth, all of these things. Not only that, but not only all of those kind of things, but every individual component. I mean, like how many things can you see in the room right now? It's amazing. Different shades of the chair, the, the color, right? Or holes in the back of a chair. I mean, all of these things your brain is seeing, but your eye has already processed it and sent it to the brain, so your brain can even identify it. The eye is self-cleaning, self-maintaining, and self-healing. Your eye, I don't know, everybody knows what a tear is, right? But you know your eye produces three different kinds of tears. Your eye produces what's called a basal tear, which is for lubrication. So your eyes constantly have lubrication on them. There's a, there's, there's, there's a, a, a surface of fluid on your eyes all the time. I actually have an eye condition that when I get up in the morning, 
I have to put eye drops in immediately after I get up because my eyes are so dry. It hurts to look. It hurts to, you know, your eyes just move, and it hurts. So I have to put drops in immediately. I don't have to do them throughout the day, fortunately, but but I don't I don't produce enough basal tears to for my eyes to be lubricated normally. And then there's reflex tears, which are, you know, like if you get a, a you know, piece of dust or something in your eye, and and, and you teared, right? Yeah, that's a that's a uh, reflex tear, where because what it's trying to do is flush out whatever is in your eyeball uh, to 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 clean the eye because it's self-maintaining. And then of course you have uh, the emotional tears that produce uh, these. These emotional tears are actually a pain reliever. They actually have a soothing sensation sensation to them. So you don't, obviously you don't realize that when you're emotionally in trauma, <laughs> but. They, that's what they do. So there's three kinds of tears that God gives uh, uh, has produced in our eye. So the idea that the eye evolved from a simple thing that had to produce 137 million cells, and it had to produce all of the cells for the nerve endings, it had to, it had to put all of the proteins in a certain order, all of the enzymes had to go in a certain order, and this had to happen over a course of millions of years. Human beings, or what were supposed to be predecessors to human beings, walked around blind for millions of years and couldn't see the food they were supposed to chase, how were they supposed to live? This is the fallacy of evolution. That's why evolution is such a joke. Because when you logically think, how did, you, how did your eyeball even get produced? Let's not even talk about how did we turn from apes to humans. How did the, how did the ape get an eyeball? Where did the ape's eyeball come from? All right, see, that's how... That's how ludicrous evolution is when you compare it to the reality of uh, creation. Darwin claims that the eye developed through plausible intermediary steps, right? Remember, you know, so mutation, the eyeball, a cell, a cell, whatever kind of cell, I don't know, a cell mutated and made a cone cell. But it didn't know what to do with itself. But so it waited around for millions of years until a rod cell was made. But then something had to encompass the whole cell and have to have a lens. Charles Darwin was crazy. Richard Dawkins, the elite atheist of the day, has challenged that the first eye was a simple light-sensitive spot. But that's just, that itself is incredibly complex. How could it be light-sensitive before it even knew what light was? How could a cell become light-sensitive and be the, like the very first thing? It's ludicrous. So from proteins and enzymes to function and the movement of light and information, there's also a need to control the shape of the eye, right? The muscles that cause your eye to focus and things like that. All that stuff had to be involved. So somebody says to you, show me creation. Just say, look me right in the eye. Do you see creation right there in my eyeball? Because there's just no other way that the eye could have come about through evolution. Pretty cool, Right. I mean, this is this is this is real stuff. We're not we're not talking about philosophical things here. We're just look me in the eye. There's my evidence for God. All right, here's another one. How many of you ever cut yourself and bled on the floor? Everybody ought to be raising their hand. I mean, because you couldn't live life without cutting yourself, right? Okay, so let's talk about the circulatory system, your blood system. The circulatory system of the human body is extremely unique. Really, actually, any animal that has a circulatory system, which is every living being, every living creature, has a circulatory system. Every single one of them. 
but what we have is just as complex. There are, but just, let's just talk about humans because it's so cool. The primary purpose of the, of the, who knows what the primary purpose of your circulatory system is? Breathe. Hmm? Breathe. I can't hear you. Just say that again. I'm, Oxygen. Okay, yeah. To give to give oxygen to the body, to transport oxygen from the lungs throughout the entire body. I mean, if you didn't have that, you wouldn't get anything out of your lungs. It wouldn't do any good. So there's a there's a there's a complex system in and of itself. How did the cells of the blood system know that there was a lung, or how did the lung know that there were there was a blood system to give the oxygen to? How did the lung system know to take oxygen out of the air? These are incredible, amazing questions that nobody wants to answer. Okay, so there's about 60,000 miles of arteries, veins, and capillaries in your body. 60,000 miles. That's incredible. That's, that's just a lot. <laughs> um, there's about five to six quarts of blood in the average human being. Uh, and the system, your blood system, not only does it transport oxygen and keeps you alive, but it also regulates your body temperature. It regulates your pH. It, reg- it transports oxygen. I said it also transports carbon dioxide out of your body, so you don't suffocate with too much carbon dioxide uh, in your in your blood system. Um, scripture, the Bible says in Genesis chapter nine verse four, "But the flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall you not eat, because the life is in the blood. You have life because you have a circulatory system." Um, you have to have that in order to in order to maintain life. Uh, blood is the way the body breathes and cleanses itself, and it's also the way that we receive spiritual life and cleansing, right? Because the blood is what cleanses us from all sin. Jesus Christ shed His blood on the cross for us. His blood poured out for us to have life. Blood is the medium. Uh, let's see, I went the wrong way. Um, Okay, blood is the medium of transportation. It's got four parts. Blood's got four parts. Let me just go ahead and throw them all up there. So you have plasma, and plasma is mostly water, and that carries the nutrients and the hormones and the clotting proteins, as well as all the waste product that comes out of the cells. Then you have the red blood cells. Your red blood cells are disc-shaped, They're, you know, round. They look like a disc. Uh, they carry the oxygen and they carry the carbon dioxide out. And then you have platelets, and a platelet is a small disc-shaped blood fragment that's produced in the bone marrow. And then you have white blood cells, which are extremely, extremely important, and there's five types of, blood, of white blood cells. Uh, the blood cells, uh, have they, well, they have five different functions, let's put it that way. Uh, they have to do with the immune system, system the white blood cells. So, so when you go to the doctor and you have a disease, they check your white blood cell count because if it's elevated, you've got a problem. They want to get your white, your white blood cell count down. And, of course, if you're uh, on the other end, if it's too low, you've you got some problems going on, too. So it's got to be in a balance. So your immune system uh, destroys uh, microorganisms. And then there's two, other, there's two other kinds of white blood cells that the, the scientists actually don't know what they do. They know they're white blood cells, but they don't really understand their function. So when scientists say, yeah, you... you or atheists will tell you that you don't believe in science. You say, well, you don't believe in science either because you, you think they have all the answers and they don't. They don't know everything. Okay, but what I really want to talk about is, is the blood clotting. And we'll get to that here in just a second. But 
Um, here's a couple of facts about blood. There's 25 trillion red blood cells in your body. They live about 120 days before they are destroyed in the spleen. Uh, they are replaced at a rate of 2.5 million per second. So when somebody uh, that has cancer and they need to have a bone, a bone marrow transplant, what they're doing is they're taking somebody's bone marrow and putting it in there. I don't know exactly how all that works. But within days, their whole body has now been regenerated with this new blood that's coming from this new bone marrow that was then put into their body. So 2.5 million new blood cells coming out of your bone marrow every second just to replace the blood cells that are dying in your body and getting flushed out through the spleen, which goes down into your digestive system and then kind of out the flushing system of our body. The hemoglobin molecule is what gives it its red color, and it's also what carries the oxygen because the protein that carries the oxygen has an iron in it that makes it cling to the oxygen content. Uh, okay, so clotting. Blood clotting, this is an incredible thing. Um, this could be never be produced by an evolutionary process. Blood clots can never be produced because it's necessary for survival. If an animal were to bleed, you know what a hemophiliac is, right? Most of you should know what a hemophiliac is, a person that cannot clot. Their blood does, is missing the enzymes to cause, them, cause the clotting. You know, if you cut yourself deep enough and you start dripping blood, well, they're going to drip all their blood right out, even if it's not a very serious wound, because they just can't stop bleeding. They just bleed and bleed and bleed and bleed. You ever wondered about how, how does your blood, how does your body stop the blood from coming out of a cut? That's an incredible thing that happens. I mean, I mean you cut yourself all the time, you know, uh, guys cutting their face with their, with their razor, or women who shaved their legs, cutting their legs. I mean, just simple things, or cutting your hand on a tool or whatever. I mean, I don't mean it's simple. I mean, is that what you were laughing at? No, I said having a child. Oh, all of those things. Yeah, just any of that stuff. Anything that causes you to bleed is going to cause you to bleed out if you don't clot. Okay, so let's talk about this. So um, the clotting mechanism... Is pressure your blood system is pressurized? Right, everybody's had their blood pressure tested. You know what? Okay, so it's pressurized, and a simple cut or wound would prove fatal if you if you couldn't stop it. So clotting, clotting is referred to as a cascade system that is necessary for survival. Um, this I call it a cascade system because there's a sequence of events that have to happen in order in order for the clot to happen. Okay, so the first thing is. Um, let's see. Let me get my notes in the right place here. Okay, it's a cascade system, and a clot involves 30 distinct reactions. There's 30 things that have to happen as a reaction, one after the other, cascading uh, in, in order in order for, for a clot to work. And each are vital to a heal a wound, and each are exceedingly complex just in themselves. And the order and the timing and the rate has to be exact. If you omit one of these reactions or insert something that's unwanted in, in, a re, in, in this chain, uh, then you're gonna, you'll probably die. So here's the thing. Clotting begins with the creation of a protein mesh to close the wound. So when you look at this picture, this would be the proteins. These little bitty, teeny, tiny things start to, start to join in a chain, and they form a, a mesh <coughs> over the opening. 
and, and so this has to happen first. Uh, platelets, platelets, remember I said platelets are small disc-shaped, fra- uh, blood sha- disc-shaped blood fragments. And they, they start the clot by adhering to the damaged blood vessel walls. So when you get cut, the reason you bleed is because you've, you've opened up a blood vessel or a capillary or something. Well, that's a leak that has to be sealed. So we're gonna, what we're going to do is we're going to patch it with that. So um, there's, a, there's a, let's see if I can just cut it up here. Okay, I was behind myself here, so let me go right here. Okay, so platelets get stuck in the damaged area, and they release a protein called a thromboplastin. The word plastin means like a plastic or a plaster. So we're going to plaster the the cut closed. And a thromboplastin protein converts another protein into what's called a thrombin. And then the thrombin converts the fibrogen into a fibers which was what we see there. That's how the net gets made. So all of this, these things have to happen in order or you don't get your net made. And if you don't get your net made, then the blood cells don't get caught in the net. So that's really what we're doing. We're building a net to catch the blood. So as the blood cells are trapped in the mesh, then the blood clot begins to form. In a few days, depending on the severity of the cut, what happens after you got cut? It heals. The blood clot falls off and the blood continues to flow. Your body has healed itself. Evolution could never have accomplished that. Uh, The task of clotting uh, reveal intelligence and design. The clot must form quickly. It must be the full length of the damage. It must close the wound, but not close the vein. Okay, because if it closes the vein, then your blood stops flowing. So it's only going to cover the opening. So if you had a garden hose... Right? That has, you know, you cut it with your lawnmower, now there's water spurting out of it. Well, you're just going to, you're not going to just close it all off, you're going to try to patch the hole. That's what blood clots do. Um, White blood cell flow uh, increases to flush away the germs, so that's why, you know, you have an infection, you have trauma to your body, your white blood cell count goes up, and it comes down here and flushes away the germs off of that cut. it's got to produce a new vessel wall, so the blood vessel has to be repaired. The skin cells have to be the the production of skin cells has to increase so that you can so that you can you know heal the skin. Now, if your skin is damaged badly enough, obviously you're going to get a scar. But what is a scar? It's still the skin is healed over, right? I mean, you don't have an opening where you can kind of look down in your you know in your muscles. I mean, you it healed so. How does the blood, the blood supply heal, heal the blood vessel, but also heal the skin, too? These things have to communicate. It's an incredible, amazing feat that all this works together. Um, okay, so the clot has to dissolve at the right time as well. Otherwise, you know, it'll just kind of hang out there, and then maybe it'll even cause infection from that. Okay, so there's seven biblical truths that I want to give you about the Bible, and we'll probably run out of time. Okay, after this. Okay, it cries out for justice. The blood, blood in the Bible is, is always talking about, the Bible's always talking about blood, and it cries out for justice. Genesis chapter 4, verse 10 says, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. 
so, okay, so there, that's one thing. Blood, blood seeks justice. Blood desires justice. You're, you know, uh, blood for blood. You know, uh, the whole idea of uh, uh, justification is based on blood. Uh, your blood has to be shed, or Jesus Christ's blood was shed. One of the two. But you know, that's the only way God was going to be justified in His punishment of you. God commanded that it not be eaten. I already mentioned this uh, in another verse, but Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11 says, "For the life of the blood is in the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for the blood that make an atonement for the soul." So, the the blood keeps you alive. Spiritually, it keeps you alive as well because it's, it's what made an atonement. Uh, it's offered for life. John chapter 6, verses 53. It's kind of a long passage. John, John chapter 6, starting in verse 53. Jesus said to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye shall have, you have no life in you. Whosoever... Eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood, hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. I know that sounds kind of kind of weird when you just read it, but what, what Jesus Christ is saying here is that his blood, receiving his, his, his blood poured out, is what gives us life. And by his blood we are redeemed. God, his blood gives us the redemption that we need. First uh, Peter chapter one verses eighteen to twenty. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. So Jesus Christ's blood is what redeems us. He he sacrificed his blood for us. By it we are washed. Revelation chapter 1 verse 5, for Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Uh, the next thing is that it allows us into heaven. It allows entrance into heaven. Hebrews 10 verses 19 and 20 saying, having therefore, brethren, be boldness to enter into the holiest by, by the blood of Jesus. If, what, if it wasn't for his shed blood, we wouldn't have entered. Did you get that? Hebrews, oh, I was pushing the button too much, sorry. Um, where are we at? Uh, number six, it allows us entrance into heaven. Um, and then the last thing is that by his, by, it, by his blood we are continually cleansed. First John chapter 1, verse 7, if we walk in the light, he is in the light. We have, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Okay, so I did want to show you a couple of things. I'm going to run out of time, but let me just, without going through all of these notes and everything, let me just show you a couple of cool things. Um, I think this is cool because being in Africa, you get to see giraffes all the time. So just this is another interesting little, interesting thing about a giraffe. They're, eight, they're the tallest animal in the world. They're 18 feet high on average. They weigh about 3,000 pounds, and they can run 35 miles an hour. That's pretty fast for something as tall as that. They're just as graceful as they can be. They're beautiful animals. But you ever wonder about how they get blood from their heart to their head? That is a long neck. How many of you have ever like stood, uh, ever had your head down and tried to lift your head way up? And you kind of get that dizzy feeling, right? Mm-hmm. Well, how does a giraffe do that? Because here's what happens on the on the uh, savanna in uh, in Africa. 
They have to kind of get down with their feet spread so they can get their heads down to drink water. It's a perfect opportunity for a lion to attack a giraffe because they're all spread out, right? So they've got to get their head up and get running as fast as possible. So how come they don't get dizzy? Well, they have the biggest heart in, in any mammal. Their heart weighs almost 22 pounds on average. It's huge. But they have a, a special regulatory system up in their head called the rete mirabal. Uh, and basically what it is, it's like, a, it's like a sponge that holds blood. So when they dip their head down, uh, it keeps the blood from uh, um, draining out of their head when they lift their head up. And it kind of, kind of regulates the blood flow into and out of the head so they can lift their head up and start running quickly. Uh, and it's really kind of a cool thing to see that work. Um, and then I hope this video will work. There's one more uh, animal that I think is just fantastic. It's, I call it the ultimate concealed carry weapon. So this is called the bombardier beetle. Have ever, anybody ever heard of the bombardier beetle? That's basically what it looks like. Uh, it, has a def it shoots enemies with hot boiling liquid in a pulsing fashion out of its abdomen. It basically sprays them with poison gas. It's hydrogen peroxide and hydroquinine in its abdomen, in two different chambers in its body. It mixes them and squirts, it, squirts them with it, and they don't die. Uh, when they're threatened, it mixes these two uh, and then makes it highly irritating and extremely hot. So let's see if this, I think the video is here. This is like a one-minute video, and then we'll be done. Chemical warfare is the bombardier beetle. It can create a chemical reaction within its body so violent that boiling caustic liquid explodes out of its abdomen. By pulsing the jet 500 times a second, it keeps its rear end just cool enough to prevent it being cooked. Well, it does get it on itself, but it's, it doesn't hurt itself. It's pretty wild. I got another video that's about four minutes long with an atheist trying to re, uh, say that that's all wrong, but we don't have time for that. I'll stop. I mean, if you want to watch it, I'll show it to you, but I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then everybody else that wants to go, we can, we can be dismissed anyway. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your creation. Thank you for the evidence of it in every place we look, whether it's an insect, whether it's our own body, whether it's the animals that you placed on the earth, Father, you have... Uh, uh, just wonderfully made us all, and you've left your mark on everything. There is, there is no argument uh, that you are the creator and that you are the, the giver and the sustainer of life, and we thank you for it. I pray now uh, you just dismiss us with your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. So you want to see that other one?